Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo noirs of today. Each week, we're going to deliver a discussion of our analysis of classic noir films, and occasionally we'll interview up and coming directors and writers of new neo noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. So for those of you at home that don't know, I'm in California and Carly is over in the UK. It's bedtime for her. It's morning for me. Yay! I'm Jason Morris and I'm here with Carly Street and we're going to discuss the 1945 film Conflict. I don't believe in ghosts and I don't believe in the supernatural. I don't believe that people live on in life after they've left it. But I saw Catherine today or somebody that was like Catherine. How do you know it wasn't Catherine? Why do you go on torching yourself with these doubts? Sometimes a thought can be like a malignant disease and start to eat away the willpower. I suppose you'd like me to step out of the picture. Well, I'll never do that. Never. Love has been man's inspiration for centuries. You came back because you wanted to be with me. No, Dick, I don't love you. You love me, but you haven't got the courage to face me. But it could never be, Dick. She'd always be there between us. Driven to desperation by the scent of an exotic perfume. Trapped where the conflict that obsesses every killer. But who would want to murder the wealthy Catherine Mason? Was it Evelyn? Was it this ex-convict? Or was it... He's lying, I tell you. We either kidnapped her or killed her himself. He knows a lot more than he's telling. Never has the screen presented a more daring motion picture. Powerful drama which lays bare the innermost soul of a man torn between two loves caught in the inescapable conflict of his overpowering emotions. It's Humphrey Bogart at his best, with Alexis Smith, Sidney Greenstreet, in Conflict, a picture as great as your favorite star. Carly, why don't you give us a rundown of what Conflict's all about? Conflict is a film starring Humphrey Bogart where he basically falls in love with his wife's sister and finds an opportunity to get rid of his wife in the hopes of living happily ever after with the sister. Which is interesting because... In this film, I thought when I was watching it, like they didn't really go into a whole hell of a lot of backstory as to like these two people falling in love on the side or any of that kind of stuff. It was just sort of like a straight in. Yeah, it was it was really yeah. interesting because just like seems like she just turns to him at one point. She's like, ah, I know you're in love with my sister. And she's like, what? Yeah, it's like the first three minutes. They're having a little argument. She's like, oh, don't think I didn't see you looking at Evelyn. And some sort of like big thing that seems like it's been a rift for a while. And, they, and another thing that was interesting is that they've only been married for like five years and you could tell in this movie maybe at that 
time period in, in history, marriage was still that sort of sacred thing. And it seemed like there's a lot of emphasis on them being married and being happily married for, for five years, which it seemed like they make it a, a big deal. Then they have the, the doctor, the therapist that, that discusses that at, at length at different times in the movie. I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's like a whole segment about how, you know, they're one of the lucky ones. And it's like, there must be so many divorced or dead people. Right. From like a whole party to celebrate the fact they're married for five years. It's not an anniversary. It's that they're married for five years. <laughs> right, <crazy>. yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. And it, it's interesting because I didn't think like the whole divorce sort of thing really took off until like after the 50s, um, going to the 60s. But that's, you know, something I definitely have to research and probably should have researched before we started discussing this. I could understand if it was like seven years because it'd be the seven-year itch. That wasn't a thing then, who knows? That's, that's a good point though. This is the first time that I've seen this movie and you seen this movie a few times, right? Yes, I love this. I'm, I'm really surprised that you've not seen it before. So, confession, I used to hate Humphrey Bogart. What? I, I, I used to I used to not be able to stand him. You have the hat. Yeah. Great delight in sending me multiple pictures of the hat <laughs> at various angles within the first week. <laughs> I totally understand where you're coming from because I would like now now I would feel the same way if anybody told me the same thing. But I did. I used to not be able to stand. I thought he was a terrible actor. I thought his movies were. I thought he was just came off really cheesy. That sort of thing. But as I got older, I really started to appreciate noir films um, on a different level, like being a filmmaker and and studying scripts and different things like that. There's such a drastic difference in the way that they wrote back then than writing has done now. It seemed like there's a much more skill that goes into the plot of a, of a movie in the 40s and 50s than now as to where it seems like it's so heavy-handed in, in character development and dialogue as to where back then the dialogue was heavy in a way, but it was all revolved around designing the plot in a way. And so I have a much higher appreciation for it and I love Bogart now and this was just one of those films and there's several other ones that have just was on my radar to watch but I'm glad that I did because in some ways reminded me a lot of my one of my absolute favorite films In a Lonely Place. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact as I'm watching this I'm like I was hoping, I kind of hope this plays out the same. I hope this plays, like when we get to the end, I hope, I hope this plays out a certain way. Um, it didn't, but it was still good. It, like it still played out in an interesting way. So yeah, I, I, uh, I, I wasn't a Bogart fan, but I am now. And so I'm, I'm glad that you brought this movie up and that we're discussing it now because I thought it was fantastic. I'm glad you've made that confession because if this had come up when we were drunk at an award ceremony somewhere... <laughs> We'd be in the Inquirer. I'm just, just, I'm just throwing that out there now. That's shocking. But I'm glad that you've confessed it. So take us into this movie, Carla. Let's let's start from the beginning. Let's sort of pick it apart here. Let's 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 take a look at it in depth and uh, see where we go. Well, I have to be careful because I love this movie so much. I just go off on a tangent. That's great, though. I mean, that's that's the way to love movies. I know. I've been going on about, you know, when I, oh, when I was five and I first watched it, my mum explained what this was because that's pretty much how it is. It's like, I think it's one of the first films that I ever properly sat and paid attention to. Interesting. And you were five? Probably around then. I don't know. Wow. They all, I'm so old, they all blur into one now. I was small. No, that's great because I started my son watching, uh, you know, stuff like this when when he was about that age too. I loved so, yeah. it because this is that film that my uh, my mum's never known what it's called. Mm -hmm. 
but it's one of her absolute favourite films. The only way she could ever describe it to me was, oh, it's that film with Humphrey Bogart and he kills his wife and it's the flower. That's really helpful. <laughs> so I put that in a Google search, Mum. And it took me years to realise that that was the film she was on about because I thought she was on about Dark Passage for years. Yeah, yeah I, got, I got really confused. And it was this one. And I was like, I don't make sense now. I've actually explained it a little bit more. Right. Because that's what I love about it the most is it all boils down to just like one simple, insignificant thing that you see. I think, is it like the first 10 minutes or 20 minutes when he gives her that flower? I can't remember. Quite yeah, it's fairly. On. Yeah, it's fairly early on. It's like it's it's probably in, definitely in the first twenty five minutes or so of the movie. Because um, I that was something when I'm, when I'm watching it, it didn't register to me. I no, I actually thought it was a pretty nice little scene, but then like when it came up later on, I was totally like, wait, what? Oh my god, the flower. Oh yeah, okay, that makes total yeah. sense. And I I did not get it. And that's what the beauty of like the writing. I think they tried much harder plot wise of making things work. And you know what I mean. Today's world, that would have been like some simple foreshadowing thing that would be blatantly obvious. But in this film, it happens so early on, like you completely forget about it. Yeah, and it's just such a nice shot that you're just saying, oh, that's nice, like right. you said. And that, but that's it. You don't think anything else of it yep and that's good filmmaking you should do it absolutely is and i just yeah i just i love i just love key scenes about it like when he's in the wheelchair and then he just gets up and just starts wandering around just just stuff like that that i just think that's brilliant you don't get that now as much it's very true see i'm rambling told you well okay so so let's take so let's (laughs) go from the beginning so we open we open this movie with a letter uh somebody's writing them a letter to invite them over to their house for a party we don't necessarily know you know who this person is but we know that it it sets it up pretty well it sets up our main characters Catherine and Richard um, they're going to go celebrate their fifth anniversary at this guy's home and you know then we move into a scene where there's some tension between husband and wife they seem like in in my view like they've been married for quite a while yeah um, they're not terribly young particularly the wife I, I, I believe she appears to be slightly older maybe than Bogart but they're not they're not youngsters but you do feel a bit of of tension between them but also it feels like they've been together for a significant amount of time and I would think that that in my personal view being married it feels like it's much longer than five years yeah that's, but, that's like 10 years of bick 10 20 years of bickering yeah yeah so where it just becomes so short and it's like it's just such a rapid back and two there's not even a hesitation it's kind of like they know what they're saying is going to annoy the other person it's just it's like a game of tennis it's like absolutely i mean obviously she's trying to get under his skin and it just does this back and forth and he's just like you know i don't want to fight this is ridiculous kind of thing but i mean they, they they set it up pretty well um by telling us you know in this letter that it's their anniversary and then showing us the the bickering couple you know i, I don't think that there's they set it up where there's hatred per se enough to like kill somebody but i think it kind of yes. the idea grows on you it's um, almost like boredom Mm-hmm. In the beginning, particularly on her part, it's almost like I'm, I'm the only thing that she can really do that gives her entertainment is winding him up. Yeah. And to answer your question earlier, the, the rose comes in at the five minute mark. I mean, it's like oh. super early on. <laughs> yeah. Because actually the opening scene, yeah. they do it so well. It's really not long. No, no. It's it's oh. very subtle. It's very, I mean, the, the shot itself is actually great. It's just, a, it's a, this amazing dolly in shot and do a frame within a frame, sort of like, you know, for the film school people. But um, just, just the subtlety of the, the rose, the single rose in the window and him giving it to her and it coming up like, you know, 60 minutes 
minutes later, I think is pretty impressive. Brilliant. Um, I love how it of, pulls you into the party as well, because I'm, if I'm remembering it rightly, you kind oh, yeah. of, you it leads you like sort of invites you through the window into this party that you feel like you're not privy to, and then you yeah. suddenly there, and it's almost like everybody's telling them how happy they should be, and they're both. Just in him in particular is just kind of only joy is when Evelyn like happens to go near him or touch his hand and he's mesmerized. Yeah, she definitely has a smile on her face talking uh, with Mark, um, the doctor and our professor, whatever. Um, and uh, you could see him behind walking behind him. And he's just less enthused about it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we go through this little party thing with there's other guests here that we you know don't really see much of later on but um it, it really sets up their sort of cynicism for each other in, in a sort of undertone way because they're saving face for everybody that's in the room disdain might be a good word sure yeah I, I, you know and again i just think that they they don't show heavy disdain and i think that's probably because they're in a room with people but you get the idea because undertones and i think anybody that has been married or in a relationship that they're not necessarily happy with probably picks up on it more than the others that aren't. And I think there's a lot of talk in here about, um, you know, that not necessarily that sort of thing, but like the sort of juxtaposition of, um, you know, marriage and, and non-married people. Because he talks a lot about science and other things like that yeah. about it. But um, yeah, I just thought it was very interesting um, that they, uh, they're they acting as normal as they can. <laughs> you know, it's, very, it's a very relatable sort of scenario, even, you know, as old as this film is. I mean, I'm sure that doesn't change over time. Yeah, definitely. And then I'll, I kind of like um, the fact that she suggests that she's going to sort of like send a sister away while he's there. Instead oh, of yeah. In, instead of being a private conversation, she's like, oh, by the way, so you can hear, I think mum's feeling lonely. You're going back and looking after her. Yeah, I, and you know, I think it's it just aids to that sort of... Uh, first scene that we see of them sort of trying to get any, under each other's skin yeah. they just really continue that and it, it almost like she has saved you know saved it up for that point of being in front of everybody else because you can't really say anything about it you know what, what's it going to do I mean the sister's right there she's like oh yeah I have to go back um, it's not a big deal and he can't do anything about it which I guess would be the the point of maybe where the, the disdain really you know elevates I guess to where he's just like you know what this is over yeah you're taking away my last little bit of joy Right. Um, you know, and then we go into the car scene where they're talking about possibly her marrying uh, the other, um, what is he, a professor or something like that. It's like a psychologist in training, I think, because he works with the, the guy who ends up catching him. Right, right. Yeah, I think that he's sort of like a protege sort of thing. Yeah. I thought the car wreck thing was interesting and odd. I I, I don't, I, I think maybe they were trying to make you, one, feel a little sympathetic uh, for Humphrey Bogart's character, um, and then also sort of set up a plot point that it's going to be much harder for him to try to kill somebody. Mm. Um, and then later on, it adds to sort of his alibi, so to speak, because he starts faking not being able to walk on it as well as he can. So there's like a few different levels, I think, with that car wreck. I mean, they could have done that a hundred different ways, but they chose to uh, use a car wreck, which is interesting to me because it, it also so, you know, kind of shadows the way that he kills her. Yeah, I, I never thought about that before, actually. I just kind of take took that as a necessary plot point. But I, yeah, I, now that you've mentioned that, that is quite interesting that that's the way, that, of all the ways he chooses to get rid of her, it's, it's in a car. Right. And it sort Maybe of... that's uh, the moment that his mind sort of snapped. It could be, because, I mean, if you think about it, they, they sort of gloss over it and, and move on pretty quickly in the film. But if you think about getting into a car wreck, laid up in the hospital for a while, having a broken leg, you have a lot of time to think. Yeah. Um, and that could be, you know, maybe where 
where I don't want to say a remake of this movie, but if if there would be a remake movie, that would definitely be an area I think that they could expand on to sort of build on his desire for the sister, his hatred for his current wife, and how he's going to solve his problem. A little bit of his delve into madness there. Yeah. Yeah, because it does leap forward pretty quickly. You know, it doesn't, this movie does not really slow down to take its time um, showing the thought process. It's just like, it almost seems like he's already made the decision this is going to happen and we're just waiting for it to happen. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. So, hey, Carla, let's take a break real quick and talk to our listeners about our sponsors. All right, guys, we're back. And we're going to keep talking about this film. I think that as we go along um, and we see, uh, I don't know how things took place back then. This is 1945, but I don't think that I would ever let my wife leave and I would meet her there <laughs> kind of thing going on a trip. <laughs> like it would have to be like a big deal. And, and it's very nonchalant in this movie. She's like, yeah, I got to do yeah. a couple things. I'll meet you up there. Yeah. <laughs> With a bit of luck, you'll drive off a cliff. But hey, you know, if you're there when I get there, then I'll see you. <laughs> right. And you know what? I take it back. The rose scene is actually uh, – 18 minutes into the movie the first rose scene isn't the one that she's wearing no there's two there's one where he casually gives her the rose at the party and then there's one where he actually pins it I think he pins it on a coat or pins it on a jacket. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. that's the one she has when she goes on a little fateful driving experience. Again, still, it's still subtle. It's still at that point where it's like, I never caught it, you know, and I'm glad I didn't because, you know, you want to sort of experience the movie other than try to pick it apart. I wonder if they ever had a moment where they went, have we, have we overdone this rose thing? Are we giving it away too soon? I don't think so. Um, cause I think it's pretty <laughs> subtle. I, you know, that's something we would do. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah. We'd end up with no ropes and it wouldn't make sense at the end. Right. <laughs> How did they figure it out? Oh, we cut that out. Definitely. What do you think about the actual, um, murder itself? Cause we're getting into it pretty close. So, uh, you know, around 20 minutes or so into the movie, she, she gets, she meets her demise. Oh, the scene when he like emerges from the shadows. Uh-huh. I think that is hands down one of the best scenes ever. Nice. In okay. my my humble opinion. Um, I do. And it's the one scene that would stick with me if I was trying to... Because I'm, I'm not very good at describing things, as you know. If I was trying to describe why somebody should watch this film, it would just be... You've just got to watch it for that scene. If you've got anything about you visually, you've got to watch that. Because that's terrifying. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty well set up. Um, I, I can appreciate um, she's driving up to the mountains, the fog rolls in, and they definitely, tonality-wise, it, it shifts dramatically. Yeah. And, and you kind of know something wrong is going to happen. I was a little surprised that it was her husband, though. I figured that there was going to be something additional going on here um so i was a little surprised that it was that it was him at first um, i'm sure some people won't feel that way but um once once he steps out of the shadows i was like oh okay that's what we're doing here i think because um, that's when it kind of if you don't really know what it's about and you just happen to be watching it you're like wow okay so he he is gonna kill her and he is the murderer and mm-hmm. he's not dead yet then it becomes then it completely switches instead of who killed her it becomes are they going to catch him? Right. And that's why I like about it. I did get a little confused right before this scene, though, where we see the street signs. Um, I, I didn't quite grasp the significance of it. And I believe there was some plot point about him driving up the mountain from the other side or taking a different route. And that's how he beat her there. Yeah, but she she was supposed to have taken the sort of dodgier way, more dangerous way of the two. And that's, but that's what she ended up taking. Like, she did take that way, right? Don't I have a conversation about how she's not a strong... 
driver or something like that, and she shouldn't have really been. Yeah, I, I up believe. That way. Yeah, I think that had something to do with when he's speaking to the cops later on. I don't know. I, I, I didn't understand quite why she went that way. If it was on purpose, or if you know, is there a cut scene or something that he tells her to go that way? Or and I love the the crash and all the um, tree trunks like falling on top of the car and the significance of the, seeing that happen later on in his office or wherever it is that he's at sort of like reminds him of it yeah i just think it's great i think it's a really really great scene but yeah. i'm a bit twisted so i imagine <laughs> if i was gonna kill my husband i'd like to be dressed as humphrey bogart with a cane just sure. like ah, i can walk after all and then <laughs> And then just stand there and sort of watch tree trunks fall on the car and be like, ha, maybe I should get help. (laughs) As long as my husband doesn't listen to it, it's fine. (laughs) Look out, street. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like it was interesting because we get into, you know, the middle of the story here and it seems almost like even though he plotted all this so he could be with the sister, it still wasn't really happening. I like the idea though because it plays into like thoughts and thought processes. And I think the whole idea of it is that he became obsessed with this idea of getting rid of his wife and then he'd be able to just go off into the sunset with his sister and didn't even think for a second that maybe it was all in his head and she didn't really like him that much in that right. way. And then, he, you know, the thoughts of like his wife being the way she is is because maybe she's jealous and that's kind of what I like about it he's got wrapped up in his own little spiral of oh if I just get her out of the way everything right. will be perfect you're probably spot on with that it was more sort of like a, an idea in his head than reality because obviously these two hadn't talked about this before it, it seems very obvious that nothing has happened between them no she's so. not even aware is she really that he has feelings for her until he like tells her and she's like oh no I don't really like you like that yeah it seemed like it was very much um, sort of an, maybe an unspoken thing maybe they you know she might have found him attractive maybe but never like in that way maybe because of his sister that he's married to who knows what the reason was but it definitely seemed like it was sort of uh, like like it could be mutual but under different circumstances and, and it's being forced at some point uh, then we get into like a little bit of the cops you know letting him know what's happened and you know we see this uh, vague that's got this ring it makes me wonder was this all a setup from the beginning from the police like did they did they know it was him from the very beginning was the the vagrant guy was he a setup was everything a setup like from the very beginning yeah it's quite interesting when you start thinking about it like that because obviously her friend knows straight away from if you go back and rewatch it you can almost see his reaction where he knows, you can see it in his face. On a first watch, you wouldn't pick it up. But when you go back and watch it, you can see in his face, it changes. He knows that he's right. done it. But then you wonder, well, how much convincing did it did it take for the police to go, okay, well, we'll just set up this whole thing? Or was he maybe pulling some strings to on his own to nudge it along? Or right. was the guilt actually getting to him and he did start to imagine things and then they capitalized on that? See, I, I personally think it's the um, our, our friend Mark here, therapist, professor, psychologist, whatever he is, is from the very beginning, he knows. Like, he knows that uh, Richard's killed his wife and he is aiming to, you know, 
torment this guy into telling the truth or making a mistake. I think the vagrant's fake. I think, the, I mean, we see the key that gets left behind, the ring. They're they're walking in the woods on their little fishing trip, and he sees the pile of woods. That, you know, they're all three walking mm. past, and they see the the pile of woods there. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty obvious that this doctor is trying to push him over the edge and get him to make a mistake. Like he knows that this is uh, something happening, and I feel like it's set up in such a great way that he still plays such a good friend to Bogart's character that we don't suspect it. We don't yeah. suspect that he's trying to avenge uh, his friend's death, basically. Yeah. Uh, but then when you watch it again and you re- like where he, they're sat and they're having that conversation about guilt, mm-hmm. yeah, and it, you, he's clearly played into his fears and he's pushing him. Yeah, it's so interesting to to watch again, knowing you're like, ah, oh, you sinister little doctor. That's uh-huh. brilliant. Things that he says are things that you would expect him to say, but just his mannerisms and the way that he looks at Bogart and it just feels he knows something kind of thing. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's like, I really enjoy detective where the detectives, you know, obsessed and they've got to get the murderer. They've got to get them at all costs. And it's quite interesting that this isn't a police officer that's chasing him. Right. And I wonder if even the sister might have been, you know, in on it, yeah. I guess, to a certain extent. That's the only thing that I've never really managed to have a definite opinion on in my mind. Right. Is, how, is when she knew or how she knew. Well, I'd assume it probably would have been the, been the psychologist that told her. I don't know that she would have stuck around. She was interested in another guy. Her mother is yeah. still sick. I mean, there's a lot of factors going on in there that I don't know that she would have still stuck around. I mean, there would be nothing left for her, you know, at, at that moment. And um, it becomes so I, interesting because what, was there was there a romantic connection before then that he's acting upon? And then she's obviously found out what he's done. And that's why she's pulling back and going... Oh, no, it's never, you know, it's not like that. I don't feel that way. So then I don't think like so. another I, level. Like did did she like him? Yeah, and I don't, now she's I don't just kind of so. repulsed. I don't I don't think there was anything between them. I think that nothing happened between them and it was all in his head, but I feel like he had enough game where he could get her interested. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? But I think ultimately it only really happened. I think somewhere behind the scenes, the, the, the doctor has, you know, talked her into playing into his hand so they could try to catch him. And I think they did a, a wonderful job doing it. I think it was, uh, I think it gets to that point where you're like, man, do they really suspect him? Do they not? I think he's feeling it too. And he's seeing all this weird stuff going on, but I think he's, I think he's pretty definite that she's dead and, and some he's messing with them and I find it interesting that he doesn't suspect his friends like who could it be just the cops because it seems like he he might have might have started doing his own little stakeouts you know but he didn't he didn't do that if something this crazy was happening you know but I guess that that helps push him to the end of the movie when he goes back to the scene of the crime sort of thing yeah which is the one thing that you never never do supposedly if you want to be a successful murderer. And I can't remember what drives him really to go to the, goes back to the scene of the crime. What is he looking for? To see her dead body? Yeah, I believe. Because uh, nobody's found it, found her body yet. You yeah, because he follows it. He starts seeing it, doesn't he? He starts actually seeing, well, somebody, the back of somebody. Right. Dressed in all in her clothes and just walking like her with her mannerisms. Um, and I'm pretty sure he fought because he ends up in a, he follows her and ends up in an apartment and then there's nobody there. Right. So it's it's almost like he's chased a spectre, like a ghost. So maybe that's the point where he thinks like I I am losing my mind here. I need to know for my peace of mind, is yep. she dead? And that's why he 
goes to see a body because they've, they've been keeping up the appearance of, oh, we haven't found a body. She's right. just missing. And I think that when he visits the apartment, and I mean, we know by the end of this movie that the the woman at the apartment complex had to somewhat been in on it. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to my earlier comment where it's like, I wonder how much of it at what point was it a setup? You know, did it start from the very beginning with the, the vagrant? I mean, like, at what point did this doctor know that this guy killed his wife? I think it's so interesting. Yeah. Because he, he's got some, uh, you know, strong follow through this guy is like he's dogged he's not giving up on this he's got some pull as well he's getting you know getting people to wander around in dead people's clothes oh definitely into into random apartments well I mean you know he's he's uh, you know one of those pillar of society kind of guys he's got the cops you know at his ear can you imagine that if I phoned you up and went listen I'm gonna ask something weird but (laughs) you're just gonna have to trust me I need you to put a frock on walk into a room and then hide in a closet some guy's going to follow you with a limp. But it's all right. Right. I mean, at what point do you get? Do you say, why? <laughs> I think someone might have killed somebody, but I'm just it's just a theory. Yeah, money does a lot, though. But, like, well, the guy that's following me, is that the guy you think's killed somebody? Because I'm going to need some data for you, look. Don't tell him that much. <laughs> Don't tell her that much. <laughs> it's like, what point does that become strange? Testing yeah. the boundaries of friendship. Wow. I've watched this film too many times. It's great though, and I, you know, when we get to the end here, and he's he goes back to see the crime. I I truly feel like I, I I almost wanted either a him to not have actually been the killer. Like I wanted it to like cut back and then like see something else happened that we yeah. didn't see in full. Um, you like know. he let her go when she died anyway, or something. He, something yeah. like we didn't see the full account originally. Yeah. Like, for some reason, I still wanted Bogart to be the good guy. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. And maybe it's just him and his charismatic or whatever it might be, but there was just like something the about him it. I don't like the thought of him in prison. I don't like the thought of him in prison. Well, I mean, he killed his wife, so, you know. But, uh, you know, either was her body there? It was, what was it, her ghost? Was I mean, there's something more, uh, for whatever reason, um, I thought it was going to be. But uh, I, was, I was surprised. I mean, the ending kept me surprised right to that very end. When they showed up, I really wasn't expecting the cops to be there and the doctor to be there it, it almost felt like the movie ended abruptly like there's another 20 minutes or something left of it but that was a good thing that was definitely wasn't a bad thing yeah and it just tells me okay so they found i mean it had to have been set up from the very beginning because they didn't move the car obviously they had the body so all of it had to have been set up from the very beginning it just had to be yeah, I don't know. It's brilliant. It's brilliant storytelling, and it like you know, like I said, it reminds me a lot of um, uh, in a lonely place. I mean, there's they have the same sort of dynamics between the cops and the love interest, and um, a murder that may or may not have been, uh, you know, by their lead character. And you know, where are these people at at the end of the story? Once we figure out who who the murderer is, sort of thing, and like it, it felt very reminiscent of that. So it leads me to believe that Bogart, you know, I I, I think that. Some of his best movies have that. Um, I guess I would say anti-hero. This isn't really an anti-hero movie, but um, you know, it, it could be had had it had a different ending, and it would have felt. I think it, I think the movie would have worked just as well, and that's the brilliance of it. Yeah, there were so many ways it could have gone. It could have been a ghost, mm-hmm. and that would have been fantastic. Um, it just, ah, I, I love when he plays like these meaty, twisted sort of dark characters. I really do. Yeah. 
I agree. Really, really. That would be my preference for him. And the, the women are interesting as well. It's not like the female characters aren't interesting. His wife's really strong. No, I... Strong personality. In the first, like, two minutes, you're like, whoa, you know, you know she's not to be trifled with. Right. She's very... She's got a character. She knows what she's doing. She's not taking any nonsense off him. Yeah, you're like my sister, and I'm not standing for it. Yeah. And that's he, like, he, His character, like, the character of Richard would not have worked at all if those female characters were not as strong as they are. Even the, you know, the um, the sister, I mean, it's she plays a typical role, but if you think back to, like, you know, the idea of, like, she's in on the setup, that takes some constitution. That takes a lot of effort to put yourself in that situation of being in the arms of a murderer and knowing it. Um, so without those strong female characters, like his character just falls apart. You know, he plays it well, but it's all based on that supporting cast. Definitely. There we have it. There we have it. I think we have um, an amazing winner of a film here that I think people should see if anybody is a, a film noir fan. Everybody or- should see it or a Humphrey Bogart fan um, or just a fan of great screenwriting it's 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 a well-made film um, that has a lot of subtext um, from a lot of different angles a lot of different characters there's always and, something new when you watch it it doesn't matter how many times you've watched it once you've, once you've watched it once there's always something new that you see right so there we go we have Woo-hoo! discussed Conflict the 1945 film yes yeah. and we found out the title of it for my mum <laughs> It's only been bothering her for 20 years. <laughs> so I guess uh, for next time, we've got to come up with another film to talk about and bore people to death with and uh, hopefully get them to watch it as well, right? I think it should be another Humphrey Bogart film. Just go on a Humphrey Bogart streak? I, uh, yeah, it's just do Humphrey Bogart. Well, Bogart. eventually we're on out of Bogart films, though. So I think Carly needs to expand her horizon. No, we'll just start back at the beginning. Let's start back at the beginning of Bogart. Yeah, we'll just do yeah. like a an endless loop of of Bogart. Yeah, films. All right. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, definitely we're gonna have to get into some uh, Edward Robinson movies. He's fantastic as well. Um, uh, what's you know. the next one gonna be? You get to pick the next one. I mean, it's too easy to go with like the classics, like Double Indemnity, or you know, uh, Sunset. Gotcha. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll just surprise people. Maybe we'll just maybe maybe we won't tell people what the movie is till till it comes out. Who knows? Who knows what we'll do? <laughs> because we'll figure it out ten minutes before. <laughs> just like we are. <laughs> All right, Carly. I think that's it for this week. Bye. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Until then, he's looking at you, kid. Thanks for joining us this week on the Speakeasy Noir Cast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up, available now on Amazon. Or you can check out one of our films available on Amazon Prime. Like what you've heard so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. 